This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. And now, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, Paul gets a whole new understanding of the importance of life that's yielded, that's surrendered to the hound of heaven. He understands fully what Thompson wrote when Thompson wrote in his poem, Lo, not contents thee, who contentest not me. Nothing will bring you contentment if you are not content in Christ. The common theme throughout the Bible is that God loves us, and it's His heart that we would all come to faith in Jesus and be saved. But God is a gentleman. He will never force someone to follow Him. We've all been given a free will to choose. He stands at the door and knocks. He gives us opportunities to confess and repent. But the ball is in our court. We have to decide whether we'll live for ourselves or if we'll choose to follow after the ways of God. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 5, with the conclusion of our message entitled, The Persistence of Heaven's Hound. Why was Paul, of all people, called to minister to the Gentiles? Paul, in his own words, told the church of Philippi how entrenched he was as a Jew. He was a Jew of the Jews. He tells the Philippian church, he says, Man, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. And yet it was the very hound of heaven that continued to pursue him in order that he might represent the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles who were a people who had no clue. They, they had no clue about the word of God. They had no clue about the kingdom of God. They had no clue about the promises of God. The fact is, is they had no clue about God. They, they worshipped all these pagan gods. Every other god they would come and follow just, I mean, just as fast as they could toward these pagan gods. But the one true God they knew nothing about. And Paul says this was the mystery of Christ. In verse 5 he goes on, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. I said a little bit earlier, prior to this, that the Jews felt that they were very exclusive. They and they alone were the chosen people of God. What they didn't realize was that God wasn't finished when he called them. It's kind of like, well, you know, I came to glory, I'm saved, sorry about you, kind of an attitude that was there. But God wasn't finished. God was calling others to himself also. There were others that needed to know. There were others down through the arches of the years, down through the labyrinthine ways, who needed to know the love of the Savior. The Gentiles were a people that were just totally separated from the knowledge and from the understanding of God. And yet Paul was called to be the one to teach them. This teacher of the law, this Hebrew of the Hebrews, this Pharisee God called to teach the Gentiles. But you know what? He didn't call Paul to teach the Gentiles the law of Israel. 
He didn't call Paul to, to bring the, the Gentiles up to speed, in essence, with, with the Jews, so that now you can join with us in, in understanding of the law. No, he called Paul, who had previously been one who would have been a teacher of the law, now to teach the Gentiles not the law, but to teach them grace. What an amazing thing that is. Taking someone who is so deep in the law and say, yeah, but that's not what I'm going to use you for. I'm going to use you for something totally different. God certainly seems to have a sense of humor at times, doesn't he? God used a solid, well-versed, devout Jew to go to the Gentiles. The one who formerly he would have considered dogs. The ones that to his culture, they would have been the untouchables. But you know what? One of the things that I've come to understand as I get older in the Lord and just older in years that more often than not, that, that seems to be God's uh, MO, God's modus operandi, God's method of operation. That God's going to do something in your life and in my life totally different than what we expect him to do. I'm ready for this. And he's going to say, yeah, but I want you to do this. Because when you do this, instead of what you think you're ready for, it's not going to be you. It's going to be his spirit working in you. And because of that, you and I are, are taken at times into areas that stretch us to the point that we feel, I am going to break in the midst of this. God speaks to us and says, yeah, but in your breaking, I'll bring healing. And I'll bring strength. It was back in the 1950s when God led this not very successful young preacher boy from a small little church in a small little town in Pennsylvania to go to the mean streets of New York City. Risking his very life, he went into those neighborhoods to minister the love of Jesus to the street gangs of Brooklyn. This is the story of David Wilkerson. He went into those gang-owned neighborhoods, the areas where the police wouldn't even go for fear of their own life. He went in there and he faced people that most of the other gangs wouldn't even mess with. People like a fellow by the name of Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz's own mother called Nicky the son of Satan. That's how rough the situation was there. Back then, Cruz was the gang leader of the feared Mau Mau gang. The Mau Maus were the fiercest, most vicious gang of their time and of their place. Well, literally, with his life on the line, and yet a heart of love, armed with only his Bible and the straightforward message of the gospel, Wilkerson went into these streets and into these alleyways and began ministering to these gang members. Wilkerson was able, because God enabled him, Wilkerson was able to lead crews and, and a multitude of others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But before those conversions, there was a multitude of threats and, yes, even beatings that he had to go through in order to be able to share with them the truth of that message. Before his conversion, Cruz had threatened Wilkerson's life on multiple occasions, had, uh, had slapped him around on multiple occasions, and at one point in time had threatened to cut him with his knife. And Wilkerson, undoubtedly man in his flesh, fearful, but yet by the Spirit of God, was able to speak to Nicky Cruz and says, Yeah, Nicky, you could cut me with your knife. 
You could cut me into a thousand pieces and lay those pieces out on the street. But, Nikki, you need to understand that when you lay those pieces out, every piece will cry out to you, Nikki, Jesus loves you. Nikki didn't know how to handle that kind of love. He didn't know how to handle that kind of tenacity, that kind of just continual work. And that was the work of God working in Wilkerson. Well, later, Wilkerson and, and Cruz together, they established and they ran the, the addiction recovery program we know now as Teen Challenge. And even within our own city, we have the Home of Hope, which was a branch of Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge ministers to men, women, young people, as well as adults all around not only our country, but around the nation. You see, the Hound of Heaven had plans both for Wilkerson and for Cruz. God, through Wilkerson, used that one man who was willing to go where he was uncomfortable to do what others said could never be done, to draw another man who was running through the nights and down the days, down the arches of the years, down the labyrinthine ways, and share with him the truth of God's grace and love. And because of that, a multitude were changed. Just as God had used Paul to touch the untouchable Gentiles, God used David Wilkerson to minister grace and mercy to the mercifulness. And just as he also worked in Cruz's life, these vicious gang members, to share with them the love and forgiveness of Christ. A decade or so later, in the mid-60s, a similar story was being worked out in Southern California, where this straight-laced, suit-and-tie, small-town, not-so-successful preacher by the name of Chuck Smith Smith had been a pastor of several floundering churches over his ministerial experience of about 15 years. When the Lord directed him to the beach community of Corona, California, Chuck admits freely that at that time he didn't care much about the people like the beach bums and the hippies of Southern California. As a matter of fact, in his own words, his private thoughts were, why don't they just go get cleaned up, get a haircut and get a job, and they'll be fine. But you know what? God wasn't finished working on Chuck Smith. And neither was he finished working on those beach bums and those hippies. The hound of heaven was still at work. God had placed a burden on the heart of Chuck's wife, Kay. And Kay, having this God-led compassion on these young people, she had convinced Chuck that they needed to start praying for them. As a matter of fact, on a regular basis, she, quote, encouraged Chuck to drive her to the beach so that they could just begin praying for them and watching them and speaking with them. Through those prayers and because of God's design and God's purpose in Chuck's life, the Holy Spirit began changing his heart. Changed the heart of that straight-laced preacher to have a true heart of compassion and a love for those that he used to disdain. Score another one for the hound of heaven. It was at the height of the Vietnam War when God called Smith to begin this ministry of the hope and the peace of the gospel to these hippies, to these beach bums of Southern California. By that time, Calvary Chapel had moved to Costa Mesa and their church began to explode literally as they were on the forefront of what's called the Jesus People Movement. And as they themselves saw hundreds of thousands of these young people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. 
And just as the hound of heaven moved in the heart of a man like Paul to be able to minister to a group of people like the Gentiles, people that he had earlier disdained, God moved in the heart of Chuck Smith, gave birth to a movement that today has over 1,500 Calvary chapels around our nation and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more around the world. Most of these hippies, most of these beach bums would have said that they were searching for God. Problem was, is they were actually running from Him. They were running from Him through drugs and alcohol, through loose living, through, through the emptiness of not having any kind of a moral compass in their life. Many of them continued to run until Heaven's hound interrupted their personal destruction and called them to himself, and many of those he called into ministry. Literally hundreds of them now pastor Calvary chapels of every size and style all around the world today. What can God do with a willing heart? You have a man like the Apostle Paul. You have men like David Wilkerson. You have men like Chuck Smith. There's a book I'm reading right now about a man by the name of John Patton, a Presbyterian minister, who God had called to go and minister to cannibals. Nothing you would choose on your own. But yet God called him. And just the amazing work of God in the lives of individuals who are sold out. I'm your prisoner. I'm your slave. I'm your servant. Whatever you want. Paul writes in verse 7, he says, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective work of his power. Now understand that even before the Apostle Paul was called by God, he was equipped. He was ready to be used. As a matter of fact, he had already stepped into what he thought was ministry, if you know anything about the life and the story of Paul. The problem was he wasn't equipped by the hand of God, and the ministry that he was involved with wasn't God's ministry. Paul's ministry was a ministry of the law. His was a ministry of hate toward others. Anyone who would claim the name of Jesus at that point in time, that's what his ministry was. So God not only changed the man, but God had to change the direction that the man was taking. The hound of heaven pursued the man known as Saul of Tarsus until he was changed by the power of Almighty God. It was only as he surrendered to his pursuer that he actually became useful to the kingdom of God. And God did use him. And he used him in a way that he wasn't expecting to be used. This teacher, the student of the law, becoming a minister of grace. You see that Paul writes all throughout his writings that he's the first one to declare how unworthy he is to be a minister of grace. He goes on in verse 8 here in Ephesians. He says, To me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. It was the power of God working in him that allowed him, that enabled him to be able to touch the lives he was able to touch. It was the power of God working in him that gave him the message of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The fact that, yeah, even a Gentile 
can be saved and brought into God's kingdom. Someone who had been so steeped in pagan worship, who had absolutely no direction or idea or thought of the reality and the truth of God, that God, through the riches of Christ, can call that one to himself. God can call a gang member who has murdered people, who has robbed, who has stolen, who is a rapist, just a, a perverted individual. God can come and use that individual even for his glory. God can call those who have checked totally out of the establishment checked out not only physically but mentally as they've lost their lives in alcohol or drug abuse. God can still use individuals like that even today. And beloved, he does still today by changing the individual by the power of God and changing the direction of that individual to walk in the purposes of God. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, he says to the intent that Now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Paul also tells the church, the Gentile church, he says you've now become a witness, you've become a testimony of the very grace of God. And in particular, he says, you are a testimony of the grace of God to the angelic beings, those principalities and powers in heavenly places, both for the fallen angels as well as for those who remained obedient and serving the Lord. Those who would know nothing really in a practical sense or in a sense that they've experienced, they would know nothing about the grace of God. And can you just imagine the angelic host, particularly those who remain faithful to the Lord, looking down and seeing the rebellion of man, seeing the the wickedness of man, saying, wow, you're sending Christ to die for them in their place, those who have rebelled against you, have shaken their fist against you all of their lives through all of their existence. You love even them. And beloved, that is the testimony of the church even today. That God would take people like you and I and a multitude of others, better and worse, and yet call them to himself and demonstrate the reality and the truth of what the love of God and the patience of God is all about. Paul tells us in verse 13, Therefore, I ask you, don't lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul was a man who suffered tremendous amount of trials. And he's pretty specific here. He says, these tribulations are for you. He, he knows that I was, I was doing this in order to bring the gospel message to you. He suffered in order that the Gentiles would be able to receive it, to be able to understand it. He laid his life on the line for the truth of that message, for the application of that message in these lives. And I don't believe that Paul would have had it any other way. I don't believe that Paul was looking for the easy route. I don't believe that Paul was looking for a convenient religion. He was sold out. He was given out to the cause of Christ wherever it would take him. Because Paul understood that these sufferings are only temporary. But he understood full well the blessings of eternity. Paul has spent a great portion of his life running from God. He understood how fleeting, how empty, how destructive 
that life was. And now, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, Paul gets a whole new understanding of the importance of life that's yielded, that's surrendered to the hound of heaven. He understands fully what Thompson wrote when Thompson wrote in his poem, Lo, not contents thee, who contentest not me. Nothing will bring you contentment if you are not content in Christ. Is there anything you're running from this morning? Maybe the very thing that you're running from this morning is the very hound of heaven coming. Beloved, you can run, but you can never hide. And he is persistent. He is persistent. He's persistent in his love. He's persistent in his calling. He's persistent in the purposes and the plans that he has and that he's had for all of eternity. How we need to stop and surrender to the reality and the truth of his calling in our lives. There's one more line in Thompson's poem I want to share with you in closing. Thompson writes, For though I knew his love who followed, yet was I sore adread, lest having him I must have naught beside. Okay, again, 19th century English. Let me kind of interpret for you here. For though I knew the love of God who followed after me, yet I was greatly afraid, thinking that by following after him I would have nothing else beside You know, that is the thought of those before they come to Christ. Oh, man, I'll I'll have to give up everything to follow Christ. Well, the answer to that question is true. But what you don't realize is that there's nothing in this life that's not temporary. There's nothing in this life that won't perish with its use. There's nothing that's not going to burn at the end. There's nothing in this life, in this present life, that only brings temporary pleasure, and yet most often brings long-term pain, misery, or even death. And the honest truth is, is you have nothing of true or lasting value in life until you have Christ. And when you have Christ, when you are fully surrendered to him in your life, you literally have everything. Everything of value, of purpose, of peace, of wholeness, of completeness. Perhaps you today as a believer think, yeah, but God can't use me or I don't want to be used in that way. I, I, I don't want to step out of my comfort zone. You'll never be content in your life until you're fully surrendered. You'll never find contentment in a halfway commitment to Christ. You'll never find the fullness, the peace, and the joy that comes in serving Christ Until you have determined yourself, I am surrendered. I am broken before you. And Lord, only you can heal and bring back together the pieces. But bring them back together in a way that honors you. And perhaps you're here today and you don't even know Christ. You're still running from the hound of heaven. You're still trying to to hide through the labyrinthine ways of life. Ducking behind every corner as God pursues you. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I believe that God has purposely brought you here today to be able to hear the message of the truth, of the greatness of God's love for you, and the fact that he will continue to pursue you because of the greatness of his love. That Christ did not die for nothing, 
He died to redeem your soul and to bring you into right relationship with Almighty God. And if that's never taken place in your life, I want to encourage you this morning before you leave here to take opportunity to invite Christ into your life, to surrender your life fully and completely to Almighty God in order that God might have his perfect way in your life. Who knows? But you might be that one who shares with that one who becomes the great spokesman for the cause of Christ. Or God may even call you to be that spokesman if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone. Amen. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to the website TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regular scheduled tax-deductible gift. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.